This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler, hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Congrats to Super Bowl champs, the Kansas City Chiefs who broke their 50-year drought tonight, defeating the San Francisco 49ers, who were seeking their sixth Super Bowl ring. And uh, the final score, 31-20, to 20, a remarkable comeback for the Chiefs. You may know him as the web producer for America's most popular overnight radio program, Coast to Coast AM. Lex Lonehood is also an accomplished writer, and his new book is called Nightmare Land. Travels at the Borders of Sleep, Dreams, and Wakefulness. And Lex is standing by, and he'll stay with us for the full two hours. Uh, Owen Wolf is my technical producer, and uh, joined tonight in studio by his young apprentice, Carlos. Uh, welcome aboard the crazy train, Carlos. Uh, Ryan White is our live stream producer. And we are live streaming tonight on the YouTube channel, Strange Planet. Don't forget to hit that red sub button. We're heading towards 20,000 subscribers, and we need your help. Uh, incidentally, the February issue of my free monthly newsletter, Inner Sanctum, is just days away from being published. So, if you haven't uh, subscribed, better do that fast, or you'll have to wait till March. Uh, just go to strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca, and register your name and email address. It's that simple, and you'll start receiving Inner Sanctum for free every month in your in-mail uh, box. And you'll also be automatically entered into the monthly draw for free Strange Planet merch. T-shirts, phone cases, hoodies, tote bags, and more. Go to strangeplanet.ca and register. And do it right now. Uh, we are about to embark on a mind-expanding exploration of sleep disorders and unusual dream states, the scientific explanations, and the paranormal possibilities. The sleeping mind is a mysterious backdrop that science is just beginning to shed light on. It was only some 60 years ago that researchers discovered REM, the rapid eye movement cycle associated with dreams. In Nightmare Land, Lex travels into the eerie borderlands where the unconscious dreams 
and strange entities intermingle under the cover of night, revealing broader and hidden aspects of ourselves, from the savage and frightening to the astounding and sublime. Lex Lonehood Nover has been the web producer for Coast to Coast AM, America's most popular overnight radio show since 2002. His work is considered a valuable resource for anyone studying the paranormal, fringe science, and alternative theories. Hey, Lex, welcome aboard. How are you, my friend? Hey, Richard, I'm doing good. I always enjoy uh, working with you when you're hosting over at uh, Coast to Coast, and uh, it's a real pleasure to be on your show this evening. Oh, likewise. I'm just delighted to have you. It's, it's like uh, we're family, the Coast to Coast family. Right, right. How did you sleep last night? <laughs> Furtively. <laughs> well done, well done. But, uh, I mean, you... Well, we'll, we'll get into your... You, you've had an interesting encounter, uh, which actually predates your, your coast-to-coast uh, days. So we'll get into that in, in a minute. But as I mentioned in the introduction, it's only been 60 years, hard to believe, when scientists first sort of be- began to understand something that we now take, for example, rapid eye movement, REM sleep. What else, what other big questions remain uh, regarding our sleep state that we really don't know much about? Well, I think one of the the big outstanding questions that has not really been resolved is the purpose of dreaming. Uh, There's been different theories going back to antiquity. Freud certainly uh, captured the imagination of the public, and I think his ideas are somewhat out of vogue now. And there's, there's other theories, but in looking at it all, it just feels to me like none of it really completely answers the question, and it may... It may be somewhat unanswerable. I think that um, medical researchers and scientists have some idea about the purpose of sleep overall and the different things that it, it does for the body and the brain. They've, they've been able to show that. But as far as the purpose of dreaming, it's still pretty mysterious. Uh, you begin the book with an examination of sleep paralysis, which to me has always been sort of the equivalent of... Um, uh, swamp gas in, in ufology, where it's just this broad brush that's often used to dismiss so much of what goes on in uh, what you call the, the borderland between the, street, the sleep state and, and wakefulness. Uh, sleep paralysis. I'd like to begin the discussion with your own encounter with what may be a case of, of sleep paralysis, perhaps not. But, but take us back to 1999, and you were listening to all things of Art Bell on Coast to Coast. Yeah, it was kind of a funny, ironic twist, given the uh, job I would end up uh, uh, having in a few short years and uh, and the popularity of that topic on the show over the years. But, um, yeah, I was an Art Bell fan in, in the 90s. It's kind of what ended up drawing me to this uh, career that I've had all these years. And uh, one night I was um, kind of laying in, in a loft bed, and, and listening to the show, and then it, it went into a commercial, and I, the classic signs of sleep paralysis for people that, that don't know is your, your body is completely frozen, and you, you can only move your eyes, and oftentimes what happens is you can start to see kind of a malevolent entity that starts to form in, in part of the, the bedroom, but you're actually looking out and seeing your your regular bedroom so you're you're not in a dream 
And, and so as Art was, had gone to commercial, and was, I remember he was a, this kind of innocuous commercial for C-Crane shortwave radios, and I was seeing this, this malevolent entity that formed in the corner of the room, kind of like, um, like a spider's web, and this, this male figure was just looking at me like, like he wanted to kill me. It was just really um, terrifying. And, and as I mentioned, that my body was frozen, and this all happened within, in, I would say, probably under 30 seconds that, that I broke out of it. And so it, it's the kind of thing that can happen just as you're falling asleep, and, and more often um, when, you're, when you're coming out of sleep, coming out of REM, the REM dream state. Right, and what you experience turns out to be pretty universal. It cuts across all cultures, although, and it goes by... Uh, different names depending on the cultural lens. Uh, there actually turns out to be an interesting Canadian connection because uh, in Newfoundland, uh, one of our fine provinces, Newfoundland and Labrador, they did a, a a study on old hag. Tell me about that. Yeah, that actually was was one of the big breakthroughs uh, when uh, there's a sociologist who um, studied these old hag reports in Newfoundland and. In, in fact, it was kind of a shorthand that people used um, to, instead of just trying to describe what sleep paralysis was and the different stages that they go through, they would just say old hag, and people would know right away what they were talking about. And uh, Gifford really sort of put this on the map, and his research was one of the first to show that sleep paralysis happened to normal people, and that it wasn't really a sign of any kind of psychological disorder and previously people uh, often thought that it, it was the sign of some kind of psychological pathology of some sort so his work was really a breakthrough in that regard but the the classic old hag is kind of a description of a, a female figure that that leans or sits on a person's chest Right, and it goes by different names in different cultures. Old Hag in in Newfoundland, and probably that came maybe from from Great Britain. Uh, interesting name for it in Japan, Kanashibari. What does that mean? Well, it actually means bound by metal, and um, that's something that's that's also pretty well known in Japan. It's depicted in folk tales and uh, manga, uh, those comic comic books. Sometimes uh, it's portrayed as kind of like a magical power that monks use to immobilize people and animals. So it's, it's actually pretty, pretty well known in Japan. How far back does it go, uh, depictions of whatever name it goes by, Old Hag or uh, in, in Zanzibar it's called Batwing? How far back does it go in, in depictions in, let's say, art? Well, there was some thought in, in the, something I ran across that it's, it's, it was even depicted in the, um, some of the cave paintings in a way. I guess it would be hard to determine if, that, if that's actually what, you know, it's very interpretive as to what you're looking at with, with some of that material. But I, I do think it, it goes far back into antiquity. Uh, the, the Greeks and the Romans certainly knew about it and, and wrote about it. And, uh, back in that those days, they, I think they uh, attributed it to um, like kind of an indigestion type thing or eating overly rich foods. 
Right. It reminds me of that passage from Dickens' Christmas Carol when um, Ebenezer Scrooge tells uh, the ghost of Jacob Marley, you may be a bit of undigested beef. There's more gravy in you than grave. So that's what he was alluding to, perhaps. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because sleep paralysis um, was actually the, that's what people, when they said nightmare, up until about the 1800s, that was the term that was used to to describe um, what we think of as sleep paralysis rather than how we define nightmare today, which are anxiety dreams that tend to wake a person up right, right out of the dream. Uh, I guess the scientists refer to REM as uh, paradoxical sleep. So what, what do the scientists actually believe is happening when someone is having an experience like you had over 20 years ago while listening to Art Bell or someone else refers to his old hag or Batwing or Metal Bound or whatever they call it? Well, I think it, it's, it's according to neur- neurologists and, and people of that ilk, they would consider what's happening to be kind of a superimposition or an intrusion from, it's like a leftover from the REM dream state uh, that that intrudes into the waking state, and and there definitely is some logic behind that, because what's happening in in REM is that the body is paralyzed, so you don't get up and start acting out your dreams. So it makes sense in that regard that there is that there is some kind of mixed state, and that's actually kind of the running theme in my in my book is this idea of these mixed states of consciousness that combine different aspects of being asleep and awake. And, and yet, I, I still kind of felt like that explanation didn't quite seem to match up to the experience and, and the, the utter terror and, and oddness of seeing these, these apparitions or demonic beings that, that appear in, in people's rooms. Um, there is a newer neurological explanation that I, I thought was interesting to consider uh, a, a scientist named uh, V.S. Ramachandran who came up with this theory that what happens when someone is um, experiencing sleep paralysis, they can't feel their limbs. And so there's a part of the brain that, that kind of uh, materializes this ghost image of a body, um, sort of like a phantom limb syndrome. And, and that uh, seemed really interesting to consider. Uh, the fear and dread is one thing, but you raised the question uh, as to whether this can actually kill you, uh, sleep paralysis. Uh, tell me about sudden unexplained nocturnal death syndrome, and there was, um, I don't know, we won't call it an epidemic, but an incredibly high rate of incidence for, I believe, South Asian um, immigrants to the United States back in the 1980s. That's right. In fact, those those incidents are what inspired Wes Craven to create the uh, Freddy Krueger character from Nightmare on Elm Street. He uh, read these accounts in in the L.A. Times. Uh, it really was kind of a little mini epidemic. These young uh, immigrants from Southeast Asia were were dying at a, a rather unusual rate because they were young and healthy men, and people couldn't really figure out what was going on, other that they they were you know, kind of found screaming or something, just frozen in their beds, and and they had died of um, of something like a heart attack, and so it was a real uh, medical mystery. 
And it wasn't really until years later that uh, some research was done um, by Shelley Adler, who uncovered that they, these young men might have had this uh, thing called Brugada syndrome, which is like a hidden heart defect. And in combination with something they call the nocebo effect, which is kind of like the dark twin of the placebo effect, that was what was, was doing them in. And it was all sort of related to seeing these entities in sleep paralysis because their traditional belief system uh, from Asia was that if they, they didn't keep their old traditions, some, some of them that involved animal sacrifice, that they could be visited by these entities. And so that's kind of what happened when they moved to America. They were dropping away from these old traditions, and then when they would have these sleep paralysis episodes, they would interpret that as being kind of this retribution for um, falling away from from their their old um, traditions. Fascinating. So a perfect storm, a a heart defect coupled with some cultural beliefs uh, and an episode of sleep paralysis all come together and produce unexplained uh, death syndrome. Yeah. yeah. Remarkable. Lex Lonehood Nover is uh, with us. You may know him as the web producer on Coast to Coast AM, and his new book is Nightmare Land, Travels at the Borders of Sleep, Dreams, and Wakefulness. How much credence do you give to the non-scientific or the non-prosaic explanation for old hag uh, or these other incidents? Uh, For example, you, you talk about an astral hypothesis. Let's let's delve into that for a few moments. Sure. Yeah, I don't think it can entirely be ruled out. In fact, some people have exp- have described experiences where they wake up from sleep and there's an entity that's already on top of them, kind of, of like feeding on their energy, and the entity is described as as being surprised that they're kind of caught in the act that they thought the person that was sound asleep and wouldn't really see them there. So it strikes me that it could be possible that when we're in these certain states of consciousness, these kind of mixtures of being awake and asleep, we might be tuning in to some sort of astral realm or something that we wouldn't normally have access to when we're awake. So it's something that's really interesting to consider. Um, I don't know that... um, you could you could prove something like that, but um, it, it's interesting to ponder. What what is your belief on it, Richard? Well, I I've stated you know on the radio um, many times that I do believe in an unseen realm. Uh, I I believe in interdimensional entities. So then the question becomes: Is the sleep paralysis somehow opening a portal? Uh, to these dimensions? Is it simply a neurobiological? Is it a combination of both? Is it the, is it the interdimensional entities that are causing the sleep paralysis? Uh, so, you know, I'm, I guess, scrabbling around in the dark like everyone else. Uh, right, right. I, 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 I don't know, but I am, I am certainly open uh, to the, well, as you, as you describe in the book, the astral hypothesis. Yeah, and, and one thing that surprised me just in general and delving into this topic and uh, talking to people about it of just how many strange 
stories and experiences that people have. I think that it's sort of a, a lot of it's kept hidden by people. They don't want to <laughs> seem like they're crazy or whatever, but it seemed like almost everyone that I talked to, if it wasn't sleep paralysis, it was some other strange experience that they had. So it seems like a real uh, hornet's nest of uh, strange things going on. We're heading into a break uh, in a couple minutes, but before we get to the break, we'll start the conversation, carry it on afterwards. Uh, to what extent in your research did you find a connection between uh, sleep paralysis uh, and um, certain folkloric uh, creatures, whether we're talking about vampires, Nesferatu, uh, uh, shadow people, uh, witches, incubus, succubus, and so forth? Well, well certainly the incubus, succubus are kind of like the classic representations of, of uh, sleep paralysis that have that um, kind of supernatural aspect. And it struck me that a lot of the whole um, witch persecution thing might have been related to that because they were coming up with this, these theories of how um, the witches would have communion with, with these um, demonic figures. And it, it seemed to relate to some of the descriptions of, of sleep paralysis. So it made me wonder if if some of that was, if even like these um, heads of the church had sleep paralysis experiences themselves and saw these strange entities and took that as proof that, oh, the devil does exist after all, and we've got to do something about it. And, and things like the vampire, I think that's another uh, kind of classic case where you can see parallels to sleep paralysis in terms of um, people being uh, frozen and unable to move and a, a, a kind of evil figure that's feeding, literally feeding on the person, which is similar to what happens with some of these entities. All right, Lex, uh, stay put. We'll roll into a, a break here on the other side. We'll uh, talk about maybe a connection between uh, sleep paralysis and out-of-body experiences. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll learn about your, uh, your good friend of 25 years, Jimmy, and his extraordinary experiences. Lex Lonehood Nover. Nightmareland travels at the borders of sleep, dreams, and wakefulness right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. From a coast-to-coast AM insider, a mind-expanding exploration of sleep disorders and unusual dream states, the scientific explanations and the paranormal possibilities. Here's a nice little uh, blurb on the back from our dear friend, the late Rosemary Ellen Guiley. An excellent exploration of the darker side of the dreamscape, a must-have book. And uh, from my, uh, our colleague at Coast to Coast, George Knapp, a potent mix of modern media reports and bone-chilling lore worthy of John Keel and the Brothers Grimm. Um, I wanted to ask you about the connection, Lex, between uh, sleep paralysis and... Things like out-of-body experiences, uh, astral travel, uh, even uh, Edgar Cayce, the great Edgar Cayce, often described as the sleeping prophet, the idea of remote viewing in that, in that hypnagogic state. Uh, talk to me about that a little bit. I know that's a, a, big, a big mouthful to chew on, but uh, let's begin that discussion. Well, 
I think if, if you were to view sleep paralysis as, as having some positive aspects, the whole idea that you could kind of piggyback into an out-of-body or astral travel would, would certainly be um, one thing that you could, you could say about the experience because uh, there is some literature and reports where people are able to, to do just that or convert it into a lucid dream, which is um, entering the dream state, in this case, while realizing that you're in a dream so I think if you can get past the, the scariness and the whole frightful aspect of, of not being able to move your body, that you could actually have uh, more of a, um, a positive experience. And, uh, and it, it is interesting that, that these realms seem, seem somewhat connected in that um, this idea that like you were bringing up about Edgar Casey, I, I guess I would consider what he does to be more in that hypnagogic state, which is considered right before you fall asleep or just after you wake up, which really does seem to be kind of a gateway to sigh and communications with the dead and, and all sorts of things. So um, I would categorize that kind of stuff in, in a slightly different vein than sleep paralysis, although it seems like that could be the jumping off point for, um, for those kind of experiences. Tell me about your, uh, your old friend Jimmy. Yeah, I mean, he would fall into that category that I was mentioning of people kind of coming out of the woodwork with, with their uh, tails and in his case, I knew he had uh, a long-term fascination with, uh, with the occult, but when I was telling him that I was writing this book and especially focusing on sleep paralysis, he started telling me, he goes, yeah, I, I had those experiences heavily for like 25 years, and I just thought it was funny that he had never mentioned that in all the time that I knew him. And um, he started having sleep paralysis when he was like 11 years old, and um, it really kind of came to a head when he was a medical student. And, you know, as you know, they don't get much sleep. They have to do these really long shifts at the hospital and just kind of catch a little shut-eye here and there. And, and he was just having, you know, nonstop um uh, all these various entities, some of them he said were kind of like these menacing rubber doll creatures and these like Lovecraftian reptiles that were like cold as ice. And so he, he tried a bunch of different new age methods, kind of trying to reason or, you know, engage these tormentors and, and nothing, nothing really seemed to work. And so finally one night this gargoyle like hag descended upon him while he was in a paralyzed state, and he managed to shift into a lucid dream, like I was mentioning before. So as the hag pushed him down, he, he suddenly had this like moment of clarity, and instead of trying to get away from her, he did the opposite. He pulled the hag closer, and, and to the shock of the creature, he ripped into her chest, tore out her heart, and ate it. Oh, my. So uh, I kind of joke Lord. in the book. Well, that's that's one trick they don't <laughs> they don't teach you in medical school. <laughs> but uh, that technique actually worked. It seemed to 
I don't know if you'd call it shamanic or, or something seemed to transpire. And after that, the um, sleep paralysis episodes faded away and rarely occurred to him again. I would guess that word would get round pretty quick in the old hag community that leave Jimmy alone <laughs> because he'll rip your chest cavity open and eat your heart. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's funny because um, a lot of the the typical advice with um, nightmares and facing your monsters is to reason with them and, and try this sort of friendly approach. So it um, it's it's funny that uh, sometimes the 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 more effective thing is is to actually be be violent with with these uh, entities. Right, That's fight back. The language they understand. Sure, fight back. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the alien abduction phenomenon, and because there are obvious parallels here, and and not to, you know, explain the entire phenomenon away with sleep paralysis. But what did your research tell you about uh, the possible connection? You know, I, I wanted to include that in the book, Richard, because there was a period in, in the 90s when uh, a couple of uh, prominent psychologists um, came out and basically tried to uh, write off the whole alien abduction thing, particularly the bedroom encounters, and just saying, well, it's, it's really just mistaken uh, sleep paralysis, and people all kind of know about these, these reports of the greys, and they're all kind of jumping on this bandwagon. And it, it struck me that, yeah, some, some cases could, could involve that, but the, the, the sheer repetitiveness of the descriptions of those uh, creatures with the wraparound eyes and the, you know, kind of egg heads and the spinely bodies and then the examinations aboard the ship and the hybrid babies, all of that, it just didn't really jibe with what I understood about the way people typically experience sleep paralysis. And by that, I mean, not everyone's demon is kind of like their own. I think it's a very idiosyncratic experience. So the idea that everyone would be seeing this exact same thing, that just didn't really make sense to me. So um, I wondered if, if it was something where, um, because I don't, it, it seems far-fetched, this idea like, oh, there's a UFO in someone's backyard and they're just <laughs> kind of coming through the walls into the bedroom. But it, it does, it, maybe it ties in more with what we were talking about before of um, kind of like astral or interdimensional entities that are, are using this the same kind of methodology or gateway to, uh, to, to reach out to people or people just becoming aware of these other kinds of experiences because they're in a different brain state. Lex Lonehood Nover, my guest. The book is Nightmare Land, Travels at the Borders of Sleep, Demons, or sorry, uh, Dreams. <laughs> yes, there are demons involved as well, and Wakefulness. And uh, just a reminder that we will uh, open up the phone lines at the top of the hour and take questions and comments. Uh, I would be particularly interested in hearing about uh, your strange experiences between, uh, you know, the wakefulness uh, and uh, and uh, the dream state. Uh, I just want to cr- uh, crib here from Chapter 2 uh, briefly and, and then get into a discussion about uh, parasomnia. And uh, because as you write here that, that uh, sleep paralysis is, is just one of what you call a hornet's nest of conditions categorized as parasomnia. Although it's understood that there are just three primary states of being awake, uh, sorry, of being awake, REM dreaming, and deep sleep, 
each with their corresponding brave brainwave patterns, their parasomnias point toward a more porous mental model. When there's a hiccup in the system, the borders of these three states, again, awake, REM dreaming, and deep sleep, the borders of these three states can bleed or blend into each other, creating hybrids. And uh, with that, uh, about 75 clinical sleep disorders. Uh, just give us kind of a, a quick sampling or a laundry list of some of the, the strange sleep disorders that you address in the book. Well, first of all, just to define parasomnia, those are uh, physical or emotional uh, abnormal occurrences that accompany uh, sleep or dreaming. Some of the classic things that everybody knows about are uh, sleepwalking, um, uh, sleep talking, there's sleep eating, there's sleep sex. So some of these are, are kind of involve uh, multiple aspects. Like if you're sleep eating, you're also sleep walking. And there's some other fairly strange ones. There's something called REM behavior disorder. And you can almost look at that as kind of like, uh, like sleep paralysis, but viewed through uh, like a carnival uh, funhouse mirror. Because in, in that condition, it, it Instead of being uh, paralyzed when you wake up, you're still in the dream state, but your body is not paralyzed. And so these people are thrashing around and acting out their dreams. And typically people that have that syndrome have these very violent dreams. So their bed partners are, are in danger of, of being attacked. It's, it's really quite frightening. And, and this is a case where it, it's helpful for people to, to get diagnosed at sleep clinics because they have... Uh, some medications and things that can can kind of control it. But in in one case with this um, man who had uh, that REM behavior disorder, he was in a dream where he he, uh, saw this like skunk get into his tent. And so he was kind of in this struggle with the, get the skunk out of the tent. (laughs) And so he was like dragging the skunk out of the tent. And then meanwhile, his wife, he was pulling in in the waking state, his wife was like screaming because he was pulling on her long hair. Oh, dear. Somehow he had kind of blended the the waking reality of her long hair superimposed with with the skunk. Unbelievable. Listen, we'll take a quick time out. Lex, come back and uh, discuss more. The Somnambulant Society, when The Conspiracy Show returns. Stay with us. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Before we get back to my conversation with Lex Lonehood-Nover, the author of Nightmare Land, just a quick programming note next week. On this transmission, Marcus Allen will be with us. He's the British distributor and publisher of the UK edition of Nexus magazine. Many of you are familiar with uh, Nexus. It deals with news and information that's, well, overlooked, unreported or ignored by the mainstream media. Um, Hidden history, future science, alternative health, conspiracies, UFOs. And we'll be talking about uh, the... uh, the lunar landing hoax, and Marcus uh, always comes equipped with uh, some uh, some pretty in-depth analysis and uh, I think some pretty credible uh, evidence that the at least the photographs uh, of the lunar uh, landing may have been staged. All right, uh, let's uh, let's talk about uh, sleepwalking and sleep talking some more, uh, Lex. Now, let me, a, a quick um, story. I have a um, my 
my middle older sister has been a, a sleepwalker all her life. Uh, I remember hearing stories of her walking, uh, getting out of her crib, uh, walking into the kitchen with her her blanket and uh, dropping it in the gar- garbage and then going back into her crib. She was completely asleep. And this has continued on now into her uh, adult life. She's... Uh, um, 60. And, uh, you know, I, I'll hear these crazy stories from my brother-in-law about finding my sister in the cl- closet uh, in the middle of the night, sort of battling with the coat hangers and things like that. Uh, how much of this, because, you know, uh, I'm, I'm wondering if, if this is a symptom of sort of modern living, because sleep deprivation and sleep disorders seem to be Almost epidemic. I'm, I'm wondering if there's a connection with modern living. Well, there, that's a possibility. I think certainly things like insomnia, which are, are super common, uh, you, I think you could chalk that up to the way we live. W- one little tidbit of, of research that I ran across that um, is kind of related just in terms of the way we sleep was that prior to the advent of electric lighting, people actually used to sleep in two shifts. Uh, so it was, you would sleep for one period, I guess sometime after nightfall, and then people would get up for an hour or so, kind of read by candlelight or uh, just have various activities, and then go back for their second sleep. And so the whole idea of getting in your eight hours in, in one one big batch is is somewhat of a modern contrivance and with experiments where people kind of have gone down to like a cave or some area that's completely dark they do actually revert back into that uh, pattern of this kind of bifurcated period of of sleep so um, so just in terms of modern living I think maybe this whole notion that we're supposed to sleep for eight hours does does relate to some of the various uh, disorders and, and experiences that people have. Fascinating. In, in regard to sleepwalking, um, it's thought to be pretty common in kids. They often grow out of it, I guess, uh, not so much <laughs> in the case of your sister. And the other thing is it does tend to run in families or seem to be kind of a, a genetic component to it. Uh, this friend of mine told me this this story that I recount in the book that uh, is actually kind of kind of amusing. If it wasn't so much to him, he was uh, kind of horrified when it happened. But when he was a kid um, back in New Jersey, and they lived in a split level home, and his parents were going through a divorce, and so as kind of uh, as a treat for uh, for my friend, his mom would let him stay up and watch Johnny Carson with her. And so one night they were down watching the TV, and all of a sudden his identical twin sisters, they were um, a few years younger than him, they both appeared at the top of the stairs, kind of arm in arm, and then they start coming down the stairs together with those glassy, glassy-eyed stairs. They were they were sleepwalking together, oh, and he, no. he had never seen it. The mom was kind of like, oh, yeah, <laughs> you know, she was sort of used to it. But to him, it was like a, that scene out of The Shining right, right. with those twins. Oh, my Lord. Uh, true or false, you should never wake someone while they're sleepwalking. You know, th- that, I think, is one of those traditional beliefs, the idea that, um, that your, your soul... 
um, could could be lost if if you were suddenly awakened that you're um, that you're kind of traveling uh, out of the body when you're when you're asleep. I think the part of it that maybe has some truth to it is that you you don't want to startle a sleepwalker. You kind of just want to just sort of gently guide them uh, back back to bed because they they could get kind of disturbed and then there's this whole thing of night terrors which is um you could consider that kind of a subset of sleepwalking but that is when people are having these these really frightful nightmares and they're just uh running around uh in absolute terror and sometimes they have like superhuman strength where they're able to like you know shove a big tv that they normally wouldn't even be able to move in their waking state and what's what's really curious about about night terrors and some of the other um, uh, parasomnias is that they occur in non-REM or this this slow wave sleep or deep sleep it's called and that was a kind of a revelation to me because I thought you know during REM that's when we have our dreams but actually there's this content that's going on in the mind during non-REM sleep and we usually have almost no memory of that so that seemed like another one of those really uh, mysteries of like, okay, what, <laughs> what is going on then? You know, it, it sort of speaks to the question of, well, what's going on in the mind of a sleepwalker? They do have some content that's, that's going on there. Right. Uh, as you point out in the book, getting back to sleepwalking for a moment, maybe we'll, we'll talk about this on the other side. We'll, uh, we're, we're heading into a break here. But uh, sleepwalking in uh, northern climes, like where I'm sitting tonight, uh, can be most dangerous, as uh, as we'll discuss. Uh, Lex Lonehood, Lex Lonehood Nover, uh, is the author of Nightmare Land, travels at the borders of sleep, dreams, and wakefulness. And uh, as we uh, head into the uh, top of the hour, you can also uh, get your fingers moving and uh, call into the program. We'll give you those numbers. We'll roll those numbers in a few moments. And I would love to hear your... Uh, your tales of sleepwalking, uh, sleep talking, and uh, other encounters, eerie encounters perhaps, in the borders of sleep, dreams, and wakefulness, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Loose lips sink ships, and sometimes corporations. Got something to say? Call Richard Serrett now at 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. Before we get back to sleepwalking, sleep-talking, sleep-murder, I just want to dip into the mailbag very briefly. I don't know how uh, this got misplaced in the mail, but I just uh, wanted to mention to uh, Lorraine and Matt, who sent me a Christmas card, uh, I don't know, but maybe they're Eastern Orthodox uh, or Eastern, Eastern, Eastern Orthodox. Uh, anyway, uh, dear Richard, um, we're big fans. Listen whenever possible. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Also enjoy when you fill in uh, for George Norrie. Best wishes, Lorraine and Matt. Well, thank you so much for that. And um, a little bit later, I'll uh, read a couple of nice cards and letters. All right, back to uh, Lex Lonehood Nover, and the book is Nightmare Land. Uh, incidentally, how do we get a hold of this fine book? Lex. Oh, thanks for asking. It's available on Amazon. Uh, some booksellers, uh, bricks and mortar stores like uh, Barnes and Noble carry it. Um, you can get it on IndieBound and uh, a variety of 
places online. Um, the audiobook I uh, recommend as well if you're into that sort of thing. I got to help in the casting of the narrator and this uh, uh, actor, Neil Helligers, really does a bang-up job with it. He's got kind of this uh, Rod Serling-like voice that really uh, kind of gives the whole thing a very entertaining and uh, mysterious uh, twist. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, this would be very conducive to an audiobook. Uh, perhaps people can listen and help them uh, drift off, or, or yeah, not. <laughs> it's kind of not maybe this sort of thing <laughs> you want to listen to as you're falling asleep, but... Uh, um, I want to, for other occasions, perhaps. Sure, sure. I, I mentioned earlier about uh, the, the perils of uh, sleepwalking in northern climes. Tell me about this uh, gentleman in Minneapolis. Well, that was a case where um, uh, a man woke up uh, sleeping um, next to his wife, and uh, he was in some distress, and the wife felt like a wetness in the bed, and she, she pulled back the covers, and the man's toes all had like frostbite on them and and you know initially she was just perplexed as to what what had happened you know amidst you know they were calling for an ambulance because it was a fairly serious situation and what they pieced together was that he had gotten up and um in in his state of sleepwalking he thought he was walking the dog and because the wife was able to see, to trace his footsteps in the snow, because he was walking barefoot in the snow on the exact same route that they walked their dog. But in this case, the dog was <laughs> safely and, and warming, warmly sleeping at home. So he had he'd just gotten right back into bed after, after this whole sleepwalking episode. My word. Uh, yeah, and in some, in some cases, people are uncertain whether it's suicide or not because they'll find uh, a body like the next morning curled up in a snowbank and oh. it's only you know if they can piece together that um someone was no- a known sleepwalker that 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 becomes the um the suspected thing that uh caused their death rather than just allowing themselves to freeze to death how el- how elaborate uh or what kind of complex activities can people uh, do while they're asleep can they drive yes yes they can in some one case someone was said to fly a helicopter uh yeah the one of the the sleep murder cases that i uh, investigate in the book uh actually in in your home country there um uh kenneth parks was uh said to drive 14 miles to his in-laws apartment so uh, the whole state of sleepwalking is, is very curious because what's happening is the person is using their eyes to be able to see, and um, a lot of the motor functions of the body are, are obviously operating if they're, they're walking around, but certain key aspects of the brain are still asleep. The things that govern logic and rational thought, for instance, in, in the neocortex area. So... So someone could be using their eyes to see and drive a car, but they might not recognize someone that's extremely close to them. They wouldn't, wouldn't even know who they were. So it's, it is really this strange hybrid state. Fascinating. We have a program on this radio station called Midnight Blue uh, that airs weeknights uh, at 12 a.m. at midnight, of course. <laughs> uh, and uh, so you have a, a, a chapter 
uh, sort of alluding to Midnight Blue, and that has to do with uh, people who get rather amorous, but while they're asleep. Talk to me about sleep sex. Is that a thing? Yeah, yeah. It's actually the more clinical name is sexomnia. And again, this is probably something that's been going on since time immemorial, but it wasn't until 2014 that it became an official um, diagnosis as, as a sleep disorder in, in sleep disorder clinics. Uh, a lot of times people enjoy it, and it's not something that <laughs> that's a problem. There, there was one case that I profiled in the book where um, a woman's partner um, was she she kind of wasn't sure if he was asleep or not, you know, because he, he seemed kind of robotic and, and very uh, amorous, if you will. And so at one point, right in, in the middle of uh, of their having sex, he started snoring. So it's kind of this uh, this phrase came up of the, the so-called snorgasm. <laughs> but um, but the, the idea that, you know, when she caught him in the act of snoring while having sex, that was like the clue that, okay, he is definitely asleep. But one of the um, curiosities about it is in a lot of the cases, people, the, the awake partner, would report that their, um, their sleeping uh, sex partner was actually better. They were a better partner when they were asleep than they were when they were awake, you know, possibly because they were less inhibited and just... Um, you know, we're willing to kind of explore different things. Right. We're, we're heading into the top of the hour, and I do want to talk about uh, people who have committed horrible crimes and use the defense that they were uh, asleep. But in this particular case, sexomnia, has anyone ever used that in a defense, let's say, for example, when the, the sexual encounter was uh, unwanted? Yeah, yeah, that it is. It's come up in a, a number of court cases, and it you know it's a controversial thing to be able to to prove one way or the other. It's even come up in the reverse, where someone has accused another person of you know sexual impropriety, and they were the ones that had had come on to them while they were in their sleep. So there's a lot of different uh, permutations and, and complications, and for someone that that has that as an issue, they really do need to be careful because they could, they could get themselves into trouble and do things that they would regret. How would you prove something like that, 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 that you were actually asleep? It, it would be very difficult. I mean, it would be, um, in, in the case of these sleep crimes like murder, what they do in the defense is try to show a history of a person having um, various parasomnias there's a machine called a polysomnogram that is used to detect uh, abnormalities in a person's sleep. Um, this whole thing with sleepwalking and sleep sex and sleep eating, it's, it's what is considered to have a lower arousal threshold. So in other words, someone is more prone to wake up, like if an airplane is flying by, that, that that's enough to wake them up into this partial state of awakening. So in these court cases, I think a lot of it is, is kind of getting sleep experts to demonstrate that the person did have uh, various abnormalities. All right. We, uh, we will open up the phone lines and questions and comments. And again, would love to hear about uh, your, your strange experiences uh, somewhere in the borders of sleep, dreams, and wakefulness. 
And if you're a sleepwalker, a sleep talker, if you've had other strange experiences, we will open up the lines at 416-360-0740. That's in the greater Toronto area. 416-360-0740. And toll free from just about anywhere. 1-866-740-4740. My name is Richard Serrett. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show. Back with more in a minute. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Thanks for inviting me into your home. Long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed rec room with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker. Your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate in your cabin in the woods. A big howdy to each of you listening in on our flagship station, Zoomer Radio. 740 on the amplitude modulation band and 96.7 on the frequency modulation band here in Toronto. Hi all to those of you tuning in on one of our affiliate stations across North America. And hey you, checking out the live stream at zoomerradio.ca and on the YouTube channel, Strange Planet. And hello to those gathered in the live YouTube chat. However, and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes, and I thank you for your fine company. Lex Lonehood Nover, web producer of Coast to Coast AM, is discussing his brilliant new book, Nightmare Land, Travels at the Borders of Sleep, Dreams, and Wakefulness, and I will also... Uh, Take calls this hour. We'd love to hear about your strange dreams, nightmares, and other strange and unexplained occurrences that you've experienced in a dream state or perhaps on the border of uh, sleep and wakefulness. Uh, Before the break, we were talking about um, sleep murder. And uh, is there a particular case uh, that sort of caught your attention when you were putting this book together? There are several of them. Uh, one of the most famous ones was the one I mentioned before, which uh, which took place uh, near you in, in Canada, a fellow named uh, Kenneth Parks. Uh, that was back in 1987. I don't know if you, how well known that case is in Canada, but um, he uh, had a history of various sleep problems, and he one night... Um, got out of bed and left his house just kind of with the door wide open and a number of things that seemed to indicate that he was sleepwalking, and he ended up driving 14 miles to his in-law's home. And uh, when he got there, he uh, savagely attacked them with a, a kitchen knife that he got in, inside their their home. And... The whole thing was very bizarre because the, his, these in-laws were very um, beloved to him. He, he had no reason to to kill them. Uh, one of them actually survived the attacks, but um, one of the uh, bizarre elements to the case that they, they used in the trial in his defense was that he, in the early morning hours, showed up at the police station and he was kind of muttering something about about killing his his in-laws, but he all uh, ten tendons in his fingers had been completely cut through because of the kitchen knife um, being held so um, strongly in his hands during the attack. 
but he wasn't experiencing any pain. They called it um, dissociative analgesia, and that is something that a person that is sleepwalking might um, might demonstrate this idea that they don't they don't feel pain during um, during sleepwalking. And so this case uh, went to trial, and it was kind of a, a battle of the sleep experts, and it was really one of the first modern cases where this whole theory was, was tested out in, in the legal system. And um, he actually was, was found innocent and, and got off uh, scot-free, and um, the the verdict was was protested. It actually went all the way to the Canadian Supreme Court, that ended up um, honoring honoring the verdict. But it certainly raises questions as to what is the culpability of someone when they're asleep. Do they still bear some responsibility for what they're doing? So it, it, it's really an interesting question, and, and some of the research. Uh, that I ran across suggested that the court system is a little antiquated in the way that they view some of these um, automatic or unconscious behaviors. Well, that's a great question. I mean, the the idea of guilty or not guilty seems somewhat limiting in in these cases. Is what what are there other levels of culpability then? No, not really. I mean, that's that's why there's been suggestions to to try to modify it to at least, you know, in cases where someone is found not guilty because they were considered unconscious or sleepwalking, that they should be ordered to uh, go on certain types of medication or take take steps so that they will not <laughs> repeat these behaviors again. All right, let's... And, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Lex. Well, I was just going to say, I think I ran across cases where I think it was used more as like the, the so-called Twinkie defense, where uh, there was a famous case in the um, the 1800s where uh, um, this kind of a scion of a wealthy family came. His lawyer was was a sort of a Johnny Cochran of, of, the, of his day and came up with that defense, supposedly after seeing this... Uh, novel about uh, somnambulist and uh, he he ended up getting uh, getting getting uh, off because of you know having this skillful lawyer and assembling various witnesses that claimed that he did sleepwalk but he he not only murdered his mistress but he he set fire to the um, to the abode so uh, it was kind of like a double crime. Mm. Uh, let's say hi to Chris in Etobicoke. Chris, you're on the line with Lex Lonehood Nover, the author of Nightmare Land. Well, hello there. Hi. Hi there. Well, a dream I'd like to discuss that I've had, which was a very strange encounter, was a few years ago, and I was having a symptom of sleep paralysis, but I was able to get up in the dream. And the weirdest thing I experienced is that for some reason in these dreams, you, you're not able to use lights in your room. And for some reason, the clock would always be off. Like I had a digital clock by my bed. And every time in this dream, I could see my room, but the clock would be out and I would get up to open the door, but the lights would not work and the door would be stuck. And then I would end up in that thing where, you know, where we talk about the old hag or one of those and it would, I would feel that presence. And, it's a strange encounter that certain things, like even if you are able to get certain forms of motion in these dreams, are not able to be used. You just 
cannot use things in your realm. All right. Great question. Great comment, rather, Chris. Uh, Lex, did you want to weigh in on that? Well, a couple things came to mind. There's something called false awakening, and it sounded a little bit um, like what he was describing, where a person wakes up out of bed, uh, maybe gets up and starts their day, only to realize that they're still in the dream state. And and that can be quite disconcerting. Uh, There was... um, uh, a fellow that is uh, kind of a prominent figure in the lucid dreaming community, um, Robert Wagner, and he uh, suffered from, I think, seven false awakenings all in a row. And at that point, he was like, I'm going <laughs> to give the whole lucid dreaming thing a rest for a while because it was, it was so disturbing to keep having these levels of, um, of one, one dream on top of the next, if you will. Uh, the the other thing in terms of um, of that that whole experience is relates to um, something that I find frustrating about about I guess you could call it the dream fabric, which is the where dreams take place. It seems like a lot of technology doesn't work, and in fact, that's a cue to become lucid. What they have uh, called reality checks, where you figure out that you're in a dream while you're still in the dream. But um, I think it's one reason why um, up to two-thirds of all dreams are negative or have a negative cast to them. And my pet theory is it's because of this whole uh, reality of, of the dream dream world where stuff doesn't work and and you know nowadays where you know our phone is like uh, you know a fifth appendage and if you've ever tried to use a cell phone while you're in a dream they it's very frustrating they don't work and i often have dreams where i've left something behind and try to go back to get it but because you're kind of your your mind is is spinning out you have like a different visual cortex that's being used when you're dreaming, and it's just sort of creating reality on the fly. So if you left your shoes back in one building, you can't necessarily go back to get it because the whole um, reality is just kind of coming off the cuff. And because we don't realize that we're in a dream, that can lead to these frustrations and and negativity. Chris, thank you for that. Uh, Let's say hi to uh, Louise is in Barrie, Ontario this morning. Louise, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Hi. Hi. Uh, I have, over the years, but as I get older, I see dead people in my dreams. I dream about my friends that are already gone. And I find it unsettling, and yet the dreams are not disturbing. They're pleasant. Right. And I'm wondering, are these people, <laughs> I know this sounds ridiculous. Not on this program, Louise. No, I know what you're going to say. Are, but are they trying to get in touch with me? <laughs> are they waiting for me? <laughs> sure, that's a, that's a legitimate question people have. Are you dreaming it, or is this some way that the uh, those that have passed on can communicate with us? This is something that we've discussed many times in this program. Lex, what, do you, what are your I, thoughts? I really believe that. I had a friend, uh, this was a few years back, and uh, a week after she passed on, she did get in touch with me, and uh, she was so happy. She was just ecstatic. She said, it's wonderful here. 
Well, I think that's kind of a universal experience, uh, Louise, that you've had. But uh, it, it was during a dream, and and uh, she was beckoning me, and I told her daughter later, she said, it's a good thing you didn't, or you might have. I said, no, I'm sorry, Jill, I, I have to go. You're not ready to go. Right. I All said, right. I, I have something I have to do. And did, so did I you, just kept... uh, Louise, realize that, you, that these... Um people that you had the dreams about, did you realize that they were deceased while you were in the dream? Or did you just no, think they and, were visiting like cases, on a, they were younger they were alive? And it, they were, they are always pleasant dreams. But they, did, they were younger in the dream than they, than yeah, they would we, have been. we were doing things, you know what I right. mean? We were perhaps uh, functioning in some way. I've dreamed of my brothers who are both gone. I've dreamed, well, I'm in my 80s, so everybody's gone. <laughs> hmm. Well, Lex, what do you think? Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Are, are we just dreaming, or are we, are we contacting the other side? I think it's, it's a question we all wonder about, because I think most of us have, have, have had dreams that involve the deceased. And I had one... Um, while I was actually writing the book, a good friend of mine had, had passed away, and um, I was experimenting with a supplement that um, is supposed to increase the chances of having lucid dreams. It's called galantamine, and um, it, didn't, it didn't generally induce lucidity, but it kind of made me a little smarter. It, I think it sends certain neurotransmitters makes your brain a little uh, peppier, but you're still able to sleep on it. So when I saw Jeffrey in the dream, even though I didn't realize it was in a dream, I did realize that he was dead. And that led to some very interesting conversation because I was able to uh, kind of like Louise ask about the afterlife. And most of the time, though, when I've had dreams involving dead people, I don't realize that they're dead and it just it doesn't feel quite as remarkable as when you you do know that they've passed on as to whether these are legitimate visitations or they're just imagined um in our in our mind it really is hard to say i in the case of this uh encounter with jeffrey i i was able to check in in real life some of the things that he he said to see if they were accurate or not uh, just in terms of dreams in general, when people have, uh, universally, there seems to be certain archetypes, I guess is the term for it. Um, for years I had dreams of my teeth falling out. That's very common. People have that. Um, people have, another universal one is, you know, you're, you're speaking uh, somewhere or you, you arrive uh, somewhere to speak and realize that you're not wearing any pants uh, the other one is, you know, you're you're you're, um, you're going back to high school. You're late for exam, and then you realize you haven't studied. You haven't even attended class all semester. These are just universal. Uh, where do that? Where does that come from? Where do these archetypes or these symbols come from? Do you think? It's it's an interesting question. Yeah, I mean, there's the the Jungian archetypes like the uh, the shadow and different things like that that uh, he argued are are just um, part of everyone's consciousness, kind of this, this material that's buried inside of us. I think to some degree it might be cultural because I saw reports that people in, in different countries have uh, dreams that, um, 
that are a little different in terms of these repeated ones like like you were describing so some of it might be you know related to our our social upbringing as far as how you interpret those i i kind of take the view that rather than looking up their meaning in a book that each person's interpretation might be unique to them as to as to the meaning of it uh, let's say good morning to Carol here in Toronto. Carol, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Is Carol there? Hello, Carol. Can you lock in Carol on the other side? There we go. Hi, Carol. Good morning. Let's try Carol one more time. Hi. Hi there. You're on. Hi. Thanks, Richard. Um, the reason why I'm calling tonight is mine is more of an out-of-body experience. This was um, an actual auto, out-of-body experience with a demon. Oh, my. All right. Do tell. Um, yes. Um, I uh, was in bed one night, and it was like 4 o'clock in the morning. I was asleep, and I could feel my soul go right out of my body. And um, I was at now at the bottom uh, corner of my bed with a light directly on me. And on the other side of the bed was a demon, blacker than night, and he had a lion's mane. I could see the outline of the lion's mane, and it was some type of communication. What do you call that, Richard, when you're not speaking, but it's like a mind? Uh, a telepathy? Is that telepathy? Uh, yes, that's it. When Whatever this thing wanted, it wanted my soul. I said no. And no sooner when, when I said no, I felt my soul go back into my body, and I felt pain again. When I was out of the body, I had no pain. When I went back into my body, I was in full of pain again. Fascinating. Yeah, and that was a spiritual, and I'm, I get old hag all the time. I won't sleep on my back anymore, because that's when she comes. What does she look like? The old hag? Yes. Terrifying. Terrifying, and I'm. Whoops, sorry. I think we lost Carol there. Apologies, Carol. You dropped off. Uh, did you want to respond to that before we head into a break, Lex? Well, just, just briefly to say that, yeah, sleeping on your back is is the one of the prime things that uh, makes you susceptible to sleep paralysis. A lot of people are not back sleepers, but they might find themselves in that position. You know, when they're twisting and turning through the night, so there's actually a, a, a little bit of a remedy that uh, for people that are plagued with sleep paralysis, where they sew something like a tennis ball into the, into the back of the t-shirt or pajamas that they sleep in, and that'll <laughs> prevent you from sleeping on your back. All right. Um, I think I got time to squeeze one more in here. Uh, let's say hi to uh, Paul is in Oshawa, our old friend Paul. Hello, Paul. Good morning. Sure. Good morning, Richard. How are you keeping? I'm well, thank you. Yourself? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. Uh, very good show, and uh, Lex, a very interesting subject. I have a, a couple of questions for you, Lex. Sure. Um, in regards to uh, sleep paralysis or that dream state of uh, having experience with different types of entities, have you had any cases where thereafter maybe uh, the person has talked about any markings on their body? and or had uh, any awake paranormal activities such as ghost symptoms or UFOs? 
in, ter- in terms of um, the sleep paralysis with markings on the body, I, I don't think that's something I ran across. I mean, it, you know, certainly in the alien abduction accounts, there are many tales of uh, you know triangular marks on the body and, and, and different things like that. In terms of um, places that are said to be haunted or have poltergeists, uh, there definitely seems to be a relationship between nightmares and strange spectral activity. All seems to kind of go hand in hand together. All right, Paul. And, and what about UFO sightings, uh, Lex? I'm curious on that. Uh, any cases on that? Um, I, I, I think that in terms of the, some of the alien abduction stuff, you know, sightings might might be related, but I didn't I didn't necessarily see that in terms of of sleep paralysis and um, and and uh, other nighttime oddities. Paul, thank you for the call. We'll uh, heading on on into a break and uh, continue to field your questions and comments as we discuss Nightmareland. 416-360-0740 in the Greater Toronto Area. 416-360-0740 and toll free from just about anywhere. 1-866-740-4740. Big Brother is listening. And so are you. To The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back. Lex Lonehood Nover is with us. The book is Nightmare Land. Travels at the borders of sleep, dreams, and wakefulness. Let's, uh, before we go back to the calls, talk a little bit about sleep deprivation, uh, which any new parent uh, certainly can identify with. Uh, people that work uh, strange uh, hours, shift work, etc., can lead to sleep, sleep deprivation. Uh, can it actually kill? You know, I did run across a case uh, that's fairly recent. A Chinese fellow that was a huge soccer fan he, uh, the games were broadcast in China at uh, odd hours in the middle of the night, so he ended up doing this marathon, I think, over 11 nights. He was just staying up and then going to work, and he, at the end of the whole um, series of games, he, he dropped dead, and there was some speculation that he had been kind of partying and drinking as well as not sleeping, so that might have been the combination of uh, of the other uh, things that he ingested. But, um, yeah, I, I also look at this uh, syndrome called fatal familial insomnia, or FFI. It's a rare genetic disorder where people fall into this strange netherland, neither being able to be fully awake or fully asleep, and that does eventually kill people. Uh, how, how, what's the longest you can go without sleep? Um, well, I think what happens is you would en- enter into a pretty psychotic state after, uh, even just after one day, you can start to have hallucinations and things. I don't, I don't know the exact figure that, you know, probably varies from per- person to person uh, where it would, it would actually cause death. But certainly um, going back to like the medieval or Renaissance periods, they perfected um, sleep deprivation as a, as a method of torture. And so they came up with all sorts of insidious ways of, of keeping people awake and then in, 
in um, the 20th century, those uh, gulags in, um, in Stalinist Russia were notorious for, for using that because it didn't, it didn't leave marks on people, and yet it was considered such an extreme form of torture that um, these prisoners would sign anything, say anything, do anything just to get some sleep. They said it was the lack of sleep was far worse than food or just about anything else. Fascinating. Uh, let's say hi to Mike in Mississauga, Ontario. Mike, good morning. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Hi, Richard. Enjoy the show. Thank you. Yeah, I've got uh, two instances of dreaming. When I was very, very young, for about three years straight, I would have these dreams where I was dreaming with my eyes open, and I'd be talking, and it would just really scare the you-know-what out of my parents, because I, I was saying all these names and talking, but I was like sitting up in bed, my eyes were open, but, but they couldn't wake me up, and I'd always wake up in the kitchen with all the lights on, and they would, they would wake the dog up, they would wake my, my brother up, everybody would be up trying to wake me out of this, out of this trance that I was in. Fascinating. And scary. <laughs> it was scary yeah, it for them. Sounds that like uh, what I was talking about earlier of the night terrors, which is um, uh, uh, something that happens during non-REM sleep, even though there is this content, you're reacting to something that's going on in, in the dream state, although it's, it's not the rapid eye movement because your, your eyes are open in this kind of glassy, glassy-eyed or, or zombie thing. Do, do you remember the storyline of what was going on during any of those episodes? Yeah, it was, it's bizarre. I do remember it, it. I was all I remember is I was seeing nothing but all these bright colors like oranges and bright reds and bright yellows. And when they asked me why, why, what, what was I, you know, what, what was the problem? I would always say the same thing that my father had died. Hmm. Is bizarre. I don't know how that all connects. But my but my second exa- example is uh, a few years ago. You know, I had this dream about my older brother, and I never dream about family members. I I hardly would ever dream. I was a really you know dead sleeper, and uh, I woke up just after three in the morning, and uh, I thought, man, that's really unusual to dream about my brother. And I got up, you know, and I and I uh, I, I did my business, and then six days later, I found out that my brother had died. And they pronounced him dead on the table just after three in the morning. And that was bizarre. And that the night that he died, I had that dream, but I didn't find out till six days later. Fascinating. Prescient dreams. Yeah, there's certainly a long history of that, that kind of precognition that uh, people report of, of different uh, incidents that are particularly meaningful that they seem to get cued into. Um, you know, in this case, it... It um, it sounded like um, uh, these these kind of apparitions that sometimes people see, um, where their grandmother or someone appears at their bed at at the said to be the same same time that they're dying in the, in the hospital, um, and that it's you know interpreted as like oh they're they're visiting someone one last time before they go, and in those cases. Um, I, I would relate it more to like the hypnagogic state where you have these odd experiences uh, just before falling asleep or just after waking up. But certainly the, the dream state itself, there's a long history of, of these precognitive dreams that people have had. Mike, thank you for that. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about sleep deprivation uh, some more, and uh, you, you reference uh, some you know, DJs. Back in the day, that was very popular. They would see how long they could stay on the air. 
uh, I think you, you made the example. Uh, you, you cite the example of uh, Alan Freed, who who coined the term rock and roll. Um, I was thinking also. I don't know that it's covered in the book, but there's a, a fascinating story uh, that was um, shared with me by our, our mutual uh, late colleague, our Gary Patterson, a rock and roll investigator. It had to do with um, the Big Bopper, who. Uh, uh, J.P. Richardson Jr., who was a DJ in Beaumont, Texas, and and uh, shortly before that uh, airplane crash in uh, February of 1959, my word, we're coming up on the, uh, what is that now, 61 years, the anniversary, coming up very soon. Uh, he w- was involved in one of these all, you know, these marathons, on-air marathons, and he stayed up, I don't know how long it was. He was in, Eventually, he was carried out on a stretcher, and he was having this hallucination and he was basically predicting the plane crash. Uh, how often does that happen? These, these hallucinations that are induced by uh, insomnia or staying awake, and, and then these things turn out to be true. That is a really interesting case that I did not hear about. I, the, the things that I looked at, um, people would fall into these kind of paranoid states. Um, Peter Tripp was... Uh, the DJ that uh, that I profiled in, in the book, and he at one point uh, thought that uh, it was an undertaker that he was doing a live broadcast from a, a glass booth in Times Square, and this fellow in a, a dark jacket showed up, and he was convinced that it was an undertaker that had arrived to take take his body out that that had died. So people can really fall into these. Um, these strange notions when uh, when they've been sleep deprived. Fascinating. Uh, let's say hi to uh, Destry is in Philadelphia this morning. Good morning, Destry. How you doing, sir? I'm well. Uh, listen, uh, it's kind of weird how I found you. I was down here looking for a screw to fix a fire extinguisher and turn the radio on and found you and. Uh, you really raised a question to me that's been on my mind for a while. Uh, I just wanted to ask: is is it common if you're if you're dreaming if you like dream that you're driving with somebody in the truck that's passed, like they're sitting next to you in your dream and you're talking to them, and the next day you wake up and it's it's like so for real that you actually think they're still alive? Does that happen or no? Well, we were we were just chatting about that that whole issue and, and the the question that I think that everybody that has a dream that they realize even during the dream or sometime later that that person is deceased. We wonder is it could it really be them? Because you could, you could make the argument that a, someone in spirit form uh, it's far more probable that they could communicate to us through something like a dream state than trying to get our attention in the waking world. Um, I think it's it's hard to to know one way or another, for certain. Destry, what do you think? Ah, uh, man, I'm just I'm totally shocked. I, I I'm going to be tuning into you for a while here because uh, there's so many questions I got. I don't want to hog the radio up, but uh, it's just that uh, you touched on something that's been on my mind, and uh, I was kind of embarrassed. I mean, I told my wife a few times. But uh, I've had quite a few dreams where I'm talking to people. Not nothing bad, no, you know, no horror story or nothing. But you know, just people 
like a few times, uh, if I may say this, they put a boot in a crotch, if you understand what I mean. Eh? Yes, yes. And it actually seems like maybe they're talking to me to say straighten yourself out or or different things. You know, get to work here or do this. Nothing bad, though. But I just wondered, is that common? Because it's so real when I wake up. Oh, There's yes. A few times I woke up that I actually thought my father was still alive, you know, and... Uh, and all of a sudden, I come to that cold feeling that, nah, I, you know, my father's, you know, he's passed, you know. Destry, uh, it's no accident you found this radio program. Uh, and you'll find that if you listen, uh, that what you've experienced is very common indeed. And for some people, it's very comforting. Uh, for other people, it's a little unsettling. Uh, Destry, thank you so much for calling in. I hope you'll call again. Hey, not a problem, man. I'm going to keep the radio station locked here. I mean, it's just an old radio down the basement, but uh, I just want to thank you because it was it was something I didn't expect to hear, and uh, you know, it gives me a little uh, little relief knowing that there's other people maybe out there going through the same thing. If you know what I mean. Absolutely, Destry. We'll be here waiting for you next week, and the week after, and the week after. All right, we'll take a quick time out. More of my conversation with Lex Lonehood Nover, Nightmareland, right here on the Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. PIN numbers, passcodes, social insurance numbers. If they make you wonder how private they are, here's two more numbers. 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back. If you like uh, The Conspiracy Show, you might also uh, be interested in my podcast, Conspiracy Unlimited, and three episodes drop every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Conspiracy Unlimited. To subscribe, to listen, just go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com, and it's available wherever fine podcasts are available, now available on Spotify. Uh, back with uh, Lex Lonehood Nover, Nightmare Land, Travels at the Borders of Sleep, Dreams, and Wakefulness. Again, uh, Lex, how do we get the book? Oh, Richard, it's available on Amazon, um, some uh, uh, actual bookstores like uh, Barnes & Noble, uh, IndieBound, uh, anywhere uh, you shop for books, basically. And that audio version? Yeah, same thing. You can get that through Audible or various um, places online that, that sell audio books. Um, I'm actually a fan of the public library system as well, so um, I know my uh, book and the audio version are carried in some libraries. If, you, if you're into that whole thing, you can request that, um, that they carry Nightmare Land, so that's another way to, to access it. Fantastic. Um, now, you um, you talk about nightmares in the book. Obviously, that's the name of the <laughs> that's the name of the book, Nightmare Land. But you, uh, there's a wonderful uh, uh, phrasing that you use. You talk about dreams. How often dreams are an escape from our waking life, uh, because that's where we experience you know fantasies and different things. Whereas nightmares, it's often the wakefulness that rescue us from the nightmare. We wake up just before you know we're devoured by that monster. Let's talk a little bit about nightmares. How they may differ from dreams. Uh, I mean, are they essentially the the same as a dream, except you know they're 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 frightening, or are they are they a, a, a different thing altogether? Well, like I mentioned uh, earlier in our conversation, the definition of nightmare up until a certain point in the um, 19th century actually referred to sleep paralysis. But what we 
call nightmares now are actually a subset of REM dreaming. That's these uh, very narrative, story-like dreams that we have, and it's coupled with what they discovered are the rapid eye movement in the in the eyes, kind of flicking flicking back and forth. And um, what particularly fascinated me about nightmares was some of the really mind-bending ones, things like uh, fever dreams and people having specific nightmares when they have uh, medical conditions or are on different medications. So there's um, some things that just um, really uh, are quite quite incredible. Uh, for instance, uh, this um, fellow that wrote what you might consider to be like the first addiction memoir um, it was about um, uh, called uh, Confessions of an Opium Eater, Thomas De Quincey. So he he was addicted to opium, but he would have these nightmares when he, when he would go to sleep that were just these extreme bendings of time and space. So, for instance, in his these elaborate dreams that he would have, it would seem as though it would go on for like a hundred years within just the space of a night, and he would have all sorts of distortions of, of um, faces and buildings and things that seemed very characteristic to the, related to the substances that he was on. That is, that's that's so true. The the, uh, the the amazing thing about dreams is they can seem like they go on for hours and hours. Um, what do we know about the the average duration of a dream? Are they? I, I've heard that they can be just like seconds long. Yeah, I, I think they they can kind of run the gamut. We we know that um, the REM sleep state occurs as part of a, a cycle that we go through. So when you first fall asleep, there are, I think, uh, three or four stages of this non-REM or slow-wave sleep that, that go uh, deeper and deeper into it, and then you um, hit REM, which are these narrative dreams, and then the cycle just repeats all over again. With nightmares, they often happen um, closer to the early morning as the person is is going to be waking up within an hour or two because there's more REM dreaming that happens in the later stages of sleep. Uh, We're going to head into a break again here very shortly, and then we'll get to Mickey in Burlington and James and Melanie in Toronto and uh, Richard in Hamilton. Uh, Do you have a, I don't know if you want to share this, I'm going to ask, I'm going to put you on the spot. Do you have a recurring dream? Uh, I have had um, recurring themes that um, that that give give one cause to pause. I've not had that uh, type of nightmare that I uh, look at in the book, where someone is just plagued by something that plays out over and over again. That usually relates to some kind of unresolved trauma or issue in their life. But um, just as a, a kind of a side note about that, I've noticed that it seems almost like dreams have a separate memory in our brain because I've gone back to different locations repeatedly that, that are not places I know in my waking life. So I've always been kind of fascinated by that. Hmm, indeed. All right. Um, 
let's uh, yeah, let's head on into the break, and then on the other side, we'll we'll uh, get to some more calls and uh, more of my conversation with Lex Lonehood Nover, Nightmareland travels at the borders of sleep, dreams, and wakefulness as we head on into the uh, the stretch right here on the Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Different views make great conversation. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Alex, I, um, one of the things I enjoy doing on this program or Coast to Coast um, is, is talking with inventors. And um, one particular inventor uh, in Spokane said something to me I thought was very uh, astute. And he said that uh, before you invent something, you invent it first in the dream state, and then you invent it uh, for real. Uh, And I know that you allude to uh, sort of creativity while we're asleep. Um, Talk to me a little bit about about that. What's happening there? Well, I particularly looked at that issue surrounding... uh hypnagogia and some techniques that uh, people like uh, Einstein, I'm I'm sorry, Thomas Edison used, as well as the painter Salvador Dali, they came up with these uh, ways to kind of wake themselves up using these little contraptions so they would just fall into that kind of half-sleep state, and in, in so doing, they could grab, like in the case of Dali, I think that's where he saw some of these amazing surreal images just as he was uh, about to to fall asleep and uh, one of the more famous cases of someone using uh, that state was uh, the chemist uh, Kekule who um, saw the uh, benzene uh, the compounds the molecular compounds for benzene uh, while he was um, falling asleep so it definitely seems like we can access this material that is um, um, unconscious or subconscious that uh, it's, a, it's almost like a real creative fountainhead that you can tap into do you believe in the in the notion of a collective unconscious unconscious there, there's something to it yeah this idea that parts of our brain are very ancient and that um, there there are these shared uh, shared experiences or or um, some some kind of uh, um, uh, layers that that are that are kind of native to all of us in one way or another. Uh, Mickey's in Burlington. Good morning, Mickey. Welcome to the Conspiracy Show. Mickey in Burlington. Can you lock him in there? Thank you. Mickey, going once. There he is. Mickey, hello. Hello. It's Richard Lex. Thanks for taking me on. My pleasure. Great. Um, so I had a dream where I was actually, I woke up, rather, not a dream. I had been sleeping, I woke up, and I realized that my dog, Gabriel, was sitting beside me, awake, on his haunches, staring at the window. So I go, what's, what's he staring at? And as I turned to look at the window, it was a curtained window, but behind it was all this undulating light. So the rational part of my brain thought, there must be an emergency service vehicle out there, ambulance, fire truck, whatever. This is at night, middle of the night. And I also thought to myself at the time, well, it, it's going to leave soon. And if it does, it'll go either to the left or to the right because the road passes in front of this window. When it did leave, it went straight up. 
When I turned to look to Gabriel, who was still beside me, my dog, he was also raising his head to follow this light, go straight up. And what was really odd is that my curiosity button was turned off. Because normally, if you see emergency vehicles outside your window, it's just kind of a curious, uh, you know, normal human response to go, well, what is it? What are they out there for? Sure. What's going on? Right. But it's like my curiosity button was turned off. Not once did I get up for about five or ten minutes to go and look. And then when my curiosity button, for lack of a better word of what to call that part of yourself, was turned back on, I mysteriously went to the back of the house and looked out into the backyard instead. So that's it. That was, that was the experience. And uh, I just have one other further thing, and it's and connected to uh, sleepwalking. I had a roommate once uh, back in the early 80s, and this fellow would get up, and and do really strange things. So I had a couple of experiences experiences with him doing this. My history. What, what name one strange thing he did while he was asleep? Well, he <laughs> he would urinate in the room against the wall. Ah, so right. odd things. And another time he did it on himself. He didn't even get up out of his bed. He just did it on himself. Oh dear. And uh, anyway, and no recollection later that this had happened. So. With that in mind, and I was aware that that had happened in the past, one night I woke up from sleep, and I was on my stomach, face down, and then I realized that I couldn't move. And I realized that I couldn't move because there was this tremendous weight on my back. And I was trying to struggle to move because I couldn't breathe. And what it felt like to me was as if someone was on my back, kneeling on my back and holding the back of my head into my pillow. Classic old hag, right, Lex? Well, yeah, except that the odd thing about it is that normally those kind of experiences would be the pressure would be on the chest. I'd, I'd not heard of a case where the body was flipped around like that, but um, yeah, I was, I was I'm sure that, that there are cases like that. I was face down, and I was suffocating. I was really struggling to move who I thought was my roommate off my back. And finally I lost consciousness, woke up later the next morning, asked him if he was aware of anything like that happening. He said, no. So anyway, I know there's other callers, so that's my story. I'll let you guys go. If you have anything to say about it, I'll be listening. So Mickey, thank, thank you so much. You, thank you for that. Uh, let's uh, move quickly, see if we can fit in uh, Melanie here in Toronto. Melanie, good morning. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Oh, good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, first of all, I don't really believe in dreams, but I can't help it because I have dreams where sometimes either an object or a person or a situation or a place that I dream about within days, weeks, or even months then appears in reality in, in real life. And, and it's very shocking to me. But then I read the Bible and dreams do happen. Joseph and all these others have dreams. But I'll just, just tell you a very quick story. I had a dream that my aunt was on a bus and I was going to get on that bus. And she says, no, no, you can't get on the bus. Get off, get off the bus. And we were very close. And so the bus closed and I left. And actually, uh, when I then drove by in reality on the street where that bus is its route, it's the name of the cemetery where my aunt was buried because she had passed away when I dreamt about her. And my 
my sister in another city that same time had a dream where my she saw my not a dream but a reality i had the dream but in reality she was on the bus and my sister was horrified that this was my aunt in the front of the bus looking backwards at her and i says you must be dreaming this is this can't be she says i know it was our aunt on the bus at the same time that i had a dream that i was going on the bus and the street was the name of the cemetery she's buried remarkable that's a great story melanie thank you for sharing let me ask you very quickly uh, lex uh, do you have any stories about people who share a dream they they they're both actually in the same dream at the same time you know, I have have run across that. Uh, it's it's definitely something that's that's very rare, but I think it it does it definitely happens to people. Um, I, I it it's been uh, something that in the lucid dreaming world they've they've wondered if they could show that in an experiment to see if two people that are both uh, lucid, in other words, knowing that they're dreaming while they're dreaming, could could have some kind of shared experience together. So it's, it's really out there at the, <laughs> the uh, edges of uh, experimentation with some of these, these strange states. Let's try to squeeze Richard in Hamilton, Ontario, onto the program. Richard, go ahead, please. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, regarding about the sleepwalking. Yes. Uh, as the gentleman say about the case of uh, uh, Park, uh, Ken Park. Yes. Yeah, because uh, I remember that uh, he was sitting with with his uh, wife. They had a cup of drinks at night, and then uh, they have the key, uh, the car key, hanging up on the way they keep the car, the key. And then uh, the wife said, okay, I'm going to bed, good night. And then he jumped, he got the key and he jumped in his car and go kill his parents, his, uh, his uh, in-law parents. Mm. And then uh, he got away out of it. How can you drive uh, the car about uh, 40 or 50 kilometers? Well, Richard, as Lex pointed out earlier, people have been known to drive while asleep. You can do some pretty remarkable things while you're asleep. Richard, I, uh, we've got to leave it there because we're out of time. Uh, Lex, this has just been uh, remarkable. And congratulations on Nightmare Land, travels at the borders of sleep, dreams, and wakefulness. What's up next? What are you going to work on now? Well, I'm kind of uh, milling uh, what, what, what might be my next project and just kind of riding the wave of nightmare land. But uh, it was a real pleasure to speak with you and your listeners tonight, Richard. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Likewise. And uh, I'll be uh, I'll be sitting in the, uh, the Coast Air Chair Saturday, February the 8th. Maybe we'll be working together. Cool. We'll catch you there. All right, my friend. Lex Lonehood and over. Nightmare Land, available where all good bookstores or all good books are available. All right, my thanks uh, to uh, Owen Wolf and his uh, able young apprentice Carlos Ryan White for live stream producing. Back next week with Marcus Allen from Nexus Magazine. We'll talk about the lunar landing hoax. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.
This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.